Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at GPC, we want you to know God, love people, and live sent. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you want to learn more about Grace Point, head over to gracepointchurch.net. And now, this week's message. We've been working through the book of Ephesians since... uh... Uh, the last fall. And so now here we are at this point in the, in the journey and we're wrapping it up today. For a month and a half, we have been talking about war. We've been talking about battles. We've been talking about the victory that hopefully we have in Christ or we should walk in in Christ. And the thing is, is it's really hard to spend a whole lot of time thinking about that and seeing how relevant it is. We live in a peaceful land, right? We don't have wars on our, on our, on our soils, okay? We haven't had them in a long time. And we, we're, we're living in a pretty low crime area. About as dangerous as close to war as we get is maybe watching the Top Gun sequel or maybe playing uh, Mortal Kombat or Call of Duty on our, on our video games. That's about as close as we get uh, to bloodshed. And the reality is, is that war is real. We see it happening right now in our world, and uh, we should be very mindful of those places in the world that are like that. But also, we have the reality that we are at a spiritual war, and we need to understand that and how we are in that battle uh, going on right here and right now. And so, I want us to hit review in the sense that I want to know where we have been aiming in this series. The what, if you will. The what is the, the, what is the victory look like? What, let's define what it is. It is the ability to stand. To stand against the schemes. To stand, to withstand in the evil day. That is the focus of what victory is in our life. It's not a life of ease. As much as we'd like that to be what victory looks like, it's not a uh, problem-free, disease-free life. It is actually living in the midst of the turmoil, but able to stand, able to make it in the end. So that's where we're, that's what we want, that's what we want victory to look like. But how do we get there? How do we get there is by putting on the armor of God. Multiple times, again, notice in verse 11, he tells us to stand. Notice in verse 11, he tells us to put on the whole armor of God. Notice in verse 13, he tells us to withstand in the evil day. Notice again, he says in the same verse that we are called to put on the whole armor of God. There is a, there's a, there's a causation or a correlation there between those two that, that if we're going to be able to stand, we need to put on the armor of God. Now, I'm not going to go back and retell the whole armor of God. Obviously, we have spent weeks going, that, going through that, putting on piece by piece and breaking it down. But as we think about the armor of God, we need to understand maybe a little bit past the metaphor. Because we sometimes get lost in the metaphor and we miss the real meaning. What he's asking us to do, what he's challenging us to do, what he's saying, if you're going to be victorious in your life, if you're going to be able to withstand, you need to put on Christ. In fact, if you look at the pieces of the armor and you break it down one by one, you will see how each one of these is represented in Christ. You talk about the belt of truth? Well, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You talk about the breastplate of righteousness? Well, Jesus is the righteousness from God that is given to our account. So you can see, if you just look at that, at that table right there, that every one of the pieces of the armor of God has a correlation, a a, a tie back to, a direct link to Jesus Christ. 
And so what the real call in this is get lost in the metaphor, get lost in the Roman soldier. No, get lost in the reality that what I'm supposed to put on every single day of my life is Christ. Now, how does that look for us? Because when you look in the other places in the New Testament, Paul skips past the metaphor, and in Galatians, he says it literally like that, that we are called to put on Christ. Putting on Christ is what it means to put on the armor of God, put on His righteousness, put on His perfect faith, because He is the author and the perfecter of the faith. And that putting on the armor of God every day is walking in Jesus every minute of the day. It's walking in that reality and walking in his truth and living in that. So I should have said this in the very beginning of of the Ephesians series, but especially when we got to chapter 6. If you really want to get the context, the kind of the historical context for the letter to the Ephesians... You really need to go back and you read the, need to read from the, the narrative of Acts. Acts chapter 19 to be exact. And what you find when you read through Acts 19, you're going to find where Paul enters into the town of Ephesus for the first time. And this is a spiritually charged community. I'm talking, you go through chapter 19 alone, you're going to find demonization. You're going to find, you're going to find people profiting from the, the dark side of demons and satanic work. You're going to find where there are people who come to faith in Christ out of demonism. So it's a highly charged community. I mean, it is, it is, it is a place of idols if you just look at the, at, at the major world temple that is there. But there's 12 men. It's kind of the nucleus that starts. In the very first verses, you'll find 12 men give their souls, their lives to following Jesus. And it's from that 12 men in chapter 19 that you see the work of God begin to happen in Ephesians that will dominate the rest of the New Testament. But as you look at that, and he talks about these these six pieces of armor that we have broken down that really are putting on Jesus, and you think about that. There's another thing that he comes into at the very end and in, Acts, in Ephesians chapter 6, and he starts talking about prayer. Some people have called that the seventh piece of armor, but I don't see it as that way. I see the armor as that, that element, that, that part of putting on Jesus that every day that I'm going to go out and I'm going to live in truth, I'm going to live in his righteousness, I'm going to live by his faith, I'm going to live it out in him, I'm going to take the gospel of peace to the places that have never heard it. That is, that is living it out, hand-to-hand combat. Think about army, think about infantry, think about the marines. That is that boots on the ground. We are the boots on the ground. Prayer is not just another piece of armor. It is a continuation of our battle, though. It is, it, if, if, if the armor that Paul speaks of is to the army, then what prayer is, would be the equivalent of the Air Force. It is, it is the Air Force that we incorporate in battle as well as the Army. We will have the hand-to-hand combat. We're going to live out our faith and we're going to put on Jesus. It's going to be battle every day of our life. But there's also prayer. 
And prayer has a, it has a spiritual dimension. It's a strategy apart unto itself that we need to incorporate it. That if we're going to truly be able to stand and to help our brothers and sisters stand and to help one another stand and to help people on the other side of the world that we don't even know stand in against, uh, against the evils and the schemes and the evil day, then we're going to do it through prayer. This is what Ron Dunn says. I probably quoted this 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 half a dozen times in my time here at Grace Point. Prayer is the secret weapon of the kingdom of God. It is like a missile that is fired toward any spot on earth, traveled undetected at the speed of thought, and it hits its target every time. That's what prayer is. So prayer is not just another piece of the armor. Prayer is to, 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 the, to the soldier what the, what the Air Force is when we can call in uh, help from the other side, when we can get God to bring in his, his, his answered prayer into our lives or into other people's lives. It's where we're praying for one another. That is when prayer is. In fact, you notice when Jesus is even dealing with spiritual warfare himself, he is incorporating prayer into that. He's incorporating prayer into that whenever he's talking to, uh, to Peter and he's talking to his disciples and he's, he's warning them. And, and he's actually praying for them in the very last hours of his life before his crucifixion. In John chapter 17, what is he doing? Jesus is praying. We call it the high priestly prayer. And a part of that prayer is this. Listen to this. John 17, 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. There are tongues. Sometimes we say, God, take me home. Jesus says, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, God, but that you keep them from the evil one. Prayer is a part of the strategy of God. Prayer is a part of the victory that we have in Christ. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, Jesus warned him. He was to sift you like wheat. But what does Jesus do? But I pray for you. But I pray for you. So notice again that Jesus himself is employing prayer as a part of the strategy to fight the battles that we're in. I want to ask you today, what is your prayer strategy? What does prayer look like for you? Is your prayer more like a 911 call? I only use it when I absolutely have to need it. Or is it one of those kind of prayer strategies that I I actually just use it to call up comforts from heaven? I just want my, my life to be a little bit better. I want my life to be a little smoother. And so then I call on God. And if he doesn't answer it the way I like, then therefore I kind of give up on God. Now, listen, I'm, I'm asking that question because that that's, that's, that's describes my prayer life sometimes. The reality is that, that prayer is a part of the victory strategy that God wants to put us on. John Piper, though, warns us about prayer as it primarily it's a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief. It is not surprising that prayer malfunctions when we try to make it a domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comforts in the den. We have cheapened prayer. We have weakened prayer. We have diminished prayer. We have minimized prayer whenever we simply make it about our own comforts. Now, the Bible does say, ask and you will see. The Bible does say many things about how you can bring your request to God. But I want to warn us, if that's all prayer is to us, we are misusing it in our lives. 
Take your Bibles and let's look at Ephesians chapter 6. Now again, I'm not going to read back to verse 10, but you can read it back for yourself. And you'll find that when he finishes putting on that last piece, putting up or taking up that last piece, that sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the very next words out of his mouth are praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To the end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that the words may be given to me to open my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. A part of the victory of our life is living out the gospel, walking in the gospel, sharing the gospel. That's a part of the victory of being able to stand against Satan shutting us down. But one of the ways we do that, one of the most powerful ways we do that, one of the most neglected ways we do that is through prayer. When you look at the Apostle Paul, you might mark a lot of things about the Apostle Paul in his life, how he was a courageous missionary, how he was bold, how he was sometimes intolerant to quitters on his team. There's a lot of things you could say about Paul. He was deep in theology. He had deep understanding of the things of God. And he does, and he does. He builds our our faith so much on what he said. But I want you to also notice this about Paul. Paul was a person of prayer who believed in prayer, who taught on prayer, who encouraged and exhorted us to pray, 42 different times in the Scriptures. In Paul's writing from Romans all the way, the way through Philemon, you find again and again a list of his prayers and his calling us to pray. Again and again, he's calling us to prayer as a part of who we are and what we are. And not just once, in most of his books, he is writing it again and again and again. In fact, as we look at Ephesians as we've looked at Ephesians, you just take Ephesians alone and look at it. In chapter 1, in chapter 3, in chapter 6, so you can find prayer in the beginning, you can find prayer in the middle, and you can find prayer at the end. Literally saturating everything he's saying to us about us and how he's exercising out his faith. So let me come back to you again. Does your life minimize prayer? Does your life maximize prayer? Is your life, is your prayer life just for you in a 911 situation? Or is your prayer life an advanced weapon of God able to pierce even into the darkest boundaries of this world where the gospel can't go because it's illegal, but your prayers are hitting targets every time? Let's assess what that means. What does wartime prayer strategy look like? Number one, prayer is attunement with the Spirit. There is a tuning where we bring ourselves fully aligned to the Spirit, praying at all times in the Spirit. And again, I want to point this out in that one verse alone. Four different times he says all. He says all times, all prayer, all perseverance, all the saints, He is bringing a comprehensive understanding to what prayer is, a comprehensive element of who we are. 
But let's talk about that word attunement. Probably not one of those words you throw out a lot. I want us to understand it in light of misalignment, alignment, and attunement. These are words that whether or not you use them every day, you live in them every day. Misalignment, you would know what that is, okay? And this is true of every area of your life, whether you are on the job, in the church, whether your body is, we're talking about that, or you're talking about at school, or values being taught, or or politicians being lived out. Misalignment, alignment, attunement. Misalignment is whenever you just don't, you're not on the same page. You're not on the same page, you're just not together, okay? If your marriage is misaligned, mm, that's not a good thing. You need to really work on that ASAP. If if there's misalignment in your body, what do you typically do? You overcompensate to one side or the other. And then what happens? That uh, that side begins to hurt as bad as the first side. Misalignment is not good. You don't continue to live with misalignment. If you have misalignment on the job, then you can have toxicity on the job. Misalignment in the marriage, you'll have toxicity in the marriage. You don't want to live with misalignment. It's bad. It's dangerous. Then there's alignment. Now, alignment's good. If misalignment is bad, alignment is good. You want to keep people aligned. You want to be on a team, if you're at work, where you can state your views, have different views in the room, uh, maybe on a particular topic, but whenever you leave that room, you're aligned behind a decision. And whether or not you got everything you wanted or whether or not you agree with everything, you are aligned behind the movement moving forward. Now, again, we're going to apply this to prayer in just a moment, but I'm trying to stay at the broader level. Then there is attunement. Attunement comes from the word attune, tune in the middle of that harmony. It means the idea of a body, soul, mind, everything is aligned. And it's not just I'm I'm agreeing with compromise. That's good. That's alignment. But attunement is actually that, no, my heart's here. My mind's here. My body's here. My will's here. Everything. I am fully and completely aligned. The kind of prayer that God wants, the kind of prayer that is going to make a difference in the world, the kind of prayer that's going to give us victory is not us being misaligned with God. God, you didn't give me what I want. I can give it up on you. That's misalignment. Or, 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 or maybe it's just alignment. Okay, I'm going to agree with you, God, even though I don't like what you're saying about this prayer request. You're, you're, you're going to do it, but... You're not really excited about it. Attunement is whenever God, I get it. I'm a, I am more than aligned. My heart, my mind, my soul, my, my thought, my, my passion. My passion is your passion. My desire is your desire all the way through this. The devil fears a soul united to God as he does God himself. Let me say it to you again. The devil fears a soul united to God as he does God himself. See, when we are praying in attunement with God's spirit, our spirit is identifying with his spirit. Our minds are his, our wills are his. Our, our, there's a complete uh, bringing co- cohesion togetherness where literally the spirit of God can pray my prayers when I don't even know how to pray them. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. We don't know how we ought to pray at times. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans and words that we cannot express. That's attunement. When I'm attuned to God and God's attuned to me, I'm praying in the Spirit. There is Prayer is a harmonious, continuous union with God, body, mind, soul, and spirit. 
a continuous, harmonious union with God. So it's not, this is not what prayer is. Me talking to God, God listening to me, God giving me what I want. That can be a form of prayer. But real spirit prayer is when my heart is aligned and attuned to his heart. Lori and I, we can be aligned, misaligned, and we can be attuned. And when we're attuned, we don't even have to talk. We know what each other's thinking. That's attunement. When I have that kind of relationship with God, that I understand Him, He understands me, we are in this together, that is a beautiful thing. The reality is a lot of us pray like the Scripture warns us not to pray. Head-to-head prayers, vain repetitious prayers. Jesus warned against this in Matthew 6, 7. When you pray, do not heap on empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that that they will be heard for their many words. Just literally spouting off words, saying words, but not really meaning it deep in their being. Then there's hand-to-ear prayer. That's when I bring my selfish desires to God. I say, God, here's my hand. Fill my hands up with blessings. It's all about me, and I'm holding my hands out for you to bless. James 4.3 warns us that when we ask and we do not receive, because we ask of the wrong motives, what I may spend on what I get for your own pleasures. Other translations put passions. When it's about me and my passions, then I'm using prayer for the wrong reason. My prayer is to align me with God in a harmonious, continuous union with God. This is spirit-to-spirit prayer. And when Psalms talks about the idea of delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart, that is attunement. I am in tune with God. My desires are His desires. I'm leaning in on that relationship. That is beautiful prayer. He will give me the desires of my heart because I first delighted myself in Him. I am attuned. That word attuned, again, means harmony. I'm in harmony with God. Life principle for you. The goal of prayer isn't to get my will into God, but it's to get God's will into me. And if I spend time in a relationship, deepening relationship, attuning myself to Him, nurturing that relationship with Him, then we are going to be tracking the same. Then I'm going to have his desires and he's going to have my desires and we're going to be aligned fully in a, an attuning kind of way. Mother Teresa was being interviewed by a reporter one time and asked what time she prays. She says, I start my prayer time every morning at 4.30. The interviewer said, okay, what do you do after that? And she said, I continue to pray all day long. She says, we try to pray through our work By doing it with Jesus, for Jesus, and to Jesus. What if you sold widgets to Walmart, and the way you did your widgets to Walmart selling is that you did it with Jesus, for Jesus, and to Jesus? What if you were a teacher, and the way you taught was you did it with Jesus, for Jesus, and to Jesus? What if you're a student, And you went to school every day with Jesus, for Jesus, 
and to Jesus, then I am attuned with Jesus in his spirit. I can walk and be praying. I can talk and be praying. I can be listening and be praying. It is more than me just getting my will into heaven. It's getting heaven into me. But number two, prayer strategy is that there's an advocacy for others. Again, this is where we're going to expand prayer today. We're not just, again, bringing our requests to God so that hopefully we can get them from God. But it's actually realizing that prayer actually has a value for others that I can actually pray and impact people's lives. I had somebody reach out to me on Instagram this, this week and shoot me a message. A mother of three, a single mother of three, doesn't have a job right now because of her immigration permit. She may be watching online right now. And she's struggling to provide for herself, waiting for that paperwork to come through so she can get back on her job so that she can provide for her kids. Guess what I did? I stopped what I was doing right then, and I prayed for her. What if our, what if our perceptions of every time I walk through life that it, I'm living in this world to pray for others? When you look at Paul's writings and you see it in the beginning, in the end, in the middle, he's praying, he's constantly praying, calling us to pray. He's going at something. He's driving at something. And at the very end, you find Paul himself asking for prayer. He said, making supplication for all the saints and for me. James chapter 5, verse 16, confess your sins one to another and pray. For one another. What's the result of, of living an authentic, transparent life with a brother or a sister? And they're praying for me and I'm praying for them that you may be healed. You want to live a better, healthier life? Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Paul, again, you might think, oh, wait, 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 Paul doesn't need prayer. This is the guy who wrote most of the New Testament. This is the guy who had his salvation experience walking on the Damascus Road, was blinded, knocked down by God. I mean, this is the guy who's called up into the third heaven. How in the world does Paul need prayer? But yet you find again and again, Paul dependent upon prayer. Brothers, pray for us to the Thessalonians, Thessaloniki church. You you also must help us by prayer through the prayers of many to the church at Corinth. To his friend Philemon, he said, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I can come to you. Paul himself depended upon the prayers of people around him. With all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. What does prayer look like when you're praying for others? Epaphras, who was actually the deliverer of the, the letter to the Ephesians and the letter to the Colossians while Paul was in prison, he gave this letter to Epaphras and this is what it was said of Epaphras. Epaphras, who is one of the servants of Christ Jesus, is always wrestling in prayer for you. Now, I want to pause you here, not to put you into guilt or shame mode. What I want to ask you, when was the last time that you wrestled in prayer for someone else? For their hurts and their pains and their decisions that they're making. You literally sweat because of your prayer. You were exhausted because of your prayer. There's a level of praying that I'm afraid we are so anemic in the church Again, we minimize prayer instead of maximizing it. 
Samuel, the great prophet, said this, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. Prayer is a part of what he calls us to. What what Paul told Timothy to do is that we should uh, urge you to supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all the people, for kings and and for high priests, or for, for those in high position, that you may lead a peaceful and quiet life and godly and dignified in every way. Now think about that. We typically have no problem critiquing the president. But I challenge you, before you critique him, you pray for him. Before you critique your pastor, pray for your pastor. Before you critique your boss, pray for your boss. People in high positions. Listen, if we would spend more time praying and less time criticizing, I wonder if we would really see a change in our circumstances. Praying for others. We have a group of people that meet every Wednesday morning right here. Small group of people that meet in the loft and they pray for the prayer requests that you turn in. And if you're not turning in prayer requests, we're not praying for them. They're going to pray for the nation. They're going to pray for our city. They're going to pray for the prayer requests that you give us. So please, we want to pray for you. Our pastors want to pray for you. I, I will say it like this. If you don't know who to pray for, would you do this one thing? Pray for me. I'm selfishly using my platform right now. Pray for me. What do I pray for you, Mike? Here, I'll give you two things. God, keep Mike close and keep Mike clean. Keep Mike close to you, Jesus. Close to his wife. Close to the heart of God. And keep Mike clean. Clean from sin. Clean from unconfessed sin. I'm going to sin, but may it not be unconfessed sin. Keep my close and clean. Paul's praying, hey, I need prayer. We need to realize that we need to align our prayers, attune our prayers to the Spirit. We need to pray for advocacy for others, and we need to pray for the advancement of the gospel. Pray for where the gospel has not gone. Remember prayer being a missile. Remember being a prayer being a wartime walkie-talkie to the mission of the church. Let's not forget that. Now look at verse 19. And also for me, the words be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. So Paul's in prison right now. Why is he in prison? He's in prison for being a Christian and for telling other people to become a Christian following Jesus. Now he's praying, I need prayer as I go out. How is it that we should pray? We're ambassadors. Paul calls himself an ambassador, an ambassador in chains. Every one of us is an ambassador. When you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, it says we are ambassadors for Christ. God made his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Do you realize you're an ambassador? You're on mission with God. You've been placed on this earth. Jesus didn't pray that God would take you out of this world, but that he would protect you and that he would send you out into this world. So what do we need to pray for? When you look at Paul's writings, we need to pray, number one, for an open doors. When Paul was talking to the Colossians, he said this, Pray also for us that God would open to us a door for the word. When's the last time you prayed for an open door? 
Open door to, to, to maybe the Indian community. Open door to maybe the Muslim community in our own neighborhood. Maybe, maybe it's to the person in the next cubicle from you. Pray for that open door to be able to, to speak out the gospel and the mystery of Christ. I want to ask you, who is your one? Every one of us should have at least one person that we are praying for. God, give me an open door today that I might be able to be an ambassador of reconciliation to help bring them to faith in Christ? Who is my one in my world right now that I have a passion for them? God, give me an open door to share the gospel with them. Who is my one people group? There are people groups all around the world. In fact, if you want to just know the exact number, there are 3,147 unreached, unengaged people groups in this world right now. That means they don't have a gospel, they don't have a church, they don't have a missionary, they don't have a church praying for them. And there are peoples and their languages and there's cultures and they don't know Jesus. And yet we sit in our culture with Jesus all around us. We need to pray for the peoples of this world. The Osaka, uh, Japan, where we're sending uh, a team and have a partnership going. Let us pray for the people of Japan where there are more Christians in North Korea than there are in Japan. Think about that. We need to pray for our teams and our work and our partnership with the PVs that are there. We need to pray for the Tonga people of Zambia. We send a team every year to Zambia to work among a people who are live in fear of their muzimu, their dead ancestors. That, that they, would, they literally live in fear. They take beer and they put it in their mouth and they spit it on the ground as if they're offering a, 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 a offering to their dead ancestors. I, I say all that to say these are real people. We send a team to share the gospel in the Tonga people. Pray for open doors. Pray for open mouths. There's a lot of closed mouth believers that are missing opportunities to share the gospel. Paul's in chains for sharing the gospel. Look what it says in verse 19. For also for me, the words may be given to me that open my mouth boldly to proclaim. Again, if we have a one, we need to ask for an open door. Then we need to ask for God to give me the words to say. I want to give you a verse, Luke 12, 12. The Holy Spirit will give you the words in the very hour that you need it. What does that mean? What does that look like? Tell them your story. This is my life before I became a believer. This is how I became a believer. This is the life that my, since, since I became a believer, before, how I became, my life after. And then turn around and ask them the question, has anything like that ever happened to you? It's as simple as you telling your God story. Open doors, open mouths, and then pray for open eyes. That God would open the eyes. Satan has put blinders, the scripture says on people's hearts and minds. So they don't see the things of God. But what does Paul pray? That we would have eyes of our hearts enlightened. Pray for that one, that their eyes would be open as you share, as you open your mouth. Because here's the thing about the open mouth. Why is it so important? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. There, listen, the evangel is silent. The good news is silent unless there is an evangelist to tell the good news. Prayer does a lot of things. Whenever we align ourselves, attune ourselves, I 
should say, to, to the Spirit of God. We can see like missiles hitting the hearts of people with the truth of the gospel, impacting them. We can see family members sustain people healed through our prayers because God answers our prayers. Listen, we can't have a time like this and not take time to pray. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to really go deep inside and I want us to really assess, is my heart attuned to the heart of God? Now, What does that mean if it's not? It means right now where you're at, say to Jesus, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I want my life attuned, linked up, aligned in, in heart, soul, mind. I want, it, I want it in harmony with you, God. Give yourself to Jesus. Give yourself fully to Jesus. And if there's anything that's not, a, not in attunement with him, then do it right here, right now. I want to read a quote to you from Theophan, of, uh, the recluse, an 18th century monk of Russia. He said, to pray is to descend with the mind into the heart and there to stand before the face of the Lord, ever present, all seeing within you. If you're a child of God, the Spirit of God is in you. What we need to do is descend inside, first of all, and to make sure our spirit is attuned to God's spirit. So what we're going to do in a time of guided prayer, I want you first to take time to attune your heart to God's. Would you just bow your heads with me? Just get real still. Block out the noise. Block out the jumping monkeys that happen in our head, as Henry Nouwen calls them, that distracts us. Listen still small voice of God. Attune yourself to Him. Thanks for listening to the Grace Point Church Podcast. To stay up to date on all things GPC, follow us at Grace Point NWA on Facebook or Instagram. As you go, be people who show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Live Sent.